right, here we are. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz. Another great episode of Dan on Top. Today we have with us Chris May, founder and CEO at Quadrant Advisory. Chris, how you doing? Hey, Dan, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. How are you? Hey, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm doing great, and I'm really happy that you're joining us. So let's dive right in. You know, it's a quick format. We like to cover a lot of ground and provide a lot of value. So tell our viewers, who is Chris May? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, at the heart of it, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I founded my business uh, almost five years ago. And, um, you know, my main company, Quadrant Advisory, uh, you know, we service uh, early stage companies with fractional CFO and house course accounting um, services. But, you know, outside of that, I've, I've got my hands in, in a couple of other ventures, um, you know, ranging from uh, med tech to real estate. And so, at the end of the day, I'm your classic type A personality who likes to have a lot of different things going on and, uh, you know, entrepreneur mindset. Excellent. So it sounds like you've got Quadrant Advisories and you've also got your commercial real estate investment. I'd love to hear about both. So let's take them one at a time. Tell us about Quadrant and then tell us about your real estate investment. Yeah, so so Quadrant really, um, you know, is the ethos there is entrepreneurs serving entrepreneurs, right? We, um, for all intents and purposes, are the accounting and finance apparatus for um, early and growth stage startups, right? So um, everything from your basic blocking and tackling of bookkeeping, accounts receivable, accounts payable, that sort of stuff, through transactional CFO advisory, um, helping prepare for fundraising, exits, recapitalizations, and things of that nature, and, and everything in between. And so um, that's you know a group of about uh, 15, 16 at this moment. We're based primarily in the Washington, D.C. area, but we do have both clients and, and employees uh, across the country. And, and like you probably see in a lot of industries, I think the, the pandemic has sped up some of our decentralization. Um, and so we're coast to coast at this point and continuing to grow with Quadrant. Um, and then on the real estate investment side, uh, you know, there's two different um, deals that I pr pretty much stay focused in. And one is Severe Capital Group, where I'm a limited partner in uh, various ventures around commercial real estate, uh, storage, uh, development deals, things of that nature. And then there's a third company called Land Title Investments, which I'm actually an owner and operator in uh, single family and multifamily uh, investment properties across the Southeast. Awesome. So let's go through awesome. those one at a time. Why would somebody want to contract out and, and, and outsource the services that Quadrant pr provides as opposed to doing it in-house? Well, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, when you're at that early stage of, of that business, you really have to reserve your resources for what your core competency is and what the, the real strategy at hand that you need to execute is. And that may not involve uh, investing in the infrastructure of a full accounting and finance team, but you're going to need that expertise and that skill set from time to time along the way. And so we provide that, right, sort of a la carte bench of those experts to be able to uh, tap along the journey and the life cycles that you go through as a startup business, very dynamic ups and downs. And so uh, we become a partner along that, that journey. And I think that's probably the main reason why we work with the companies that we work with. Yeah, and I'm definitely a big yeah. fan of, of that same you know concept in so far as staying in your lane and, and doing what you're an expert at and hiring other people to help you so that you can kind of create that whole 
team atmosphere where each person is is doing what they excel at. So I definitely can relate to that and and appreciate it. Now, in terms of your real estate investment, how did you get into that, and what's that experience been like for you? Well, um, you know, I my my folks had done some real estate stuff when I was growing up. And so I got sort of a a front row view of that and um, really learned a lot um, on the single family front from them with just having a handful of rentals in our hometown and things like that. They weren't in it, uh, you know, professionally or on the commercial side at all, but it gave me a taste of what it could do for you uh, economically and what that game looked like uh, just overall in the real estate investment game. And, um, you know, seeing that and learning from them, I started with one single family rental and just, you know, continued to build and build and build. And, you know, with me being just, you know, sort of this, I'm always a student, right? I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to grow and pick up new skills and get involved in new things. And it's just sort of evolved over time. But it really started with, with my upbringing and seeing, um, you know, what real estate could do for uh, a family and for an individual economically and some of that freedom that it entailed and um, sort of taking it from there and going. Awesome. So during that whole experience, what is the you know biggest learning point or, or you know your biggest maybe piece of wisdom that you got along the way? For me, and I look, this is still an evolving process. It's it's really trying to find your risk paradigm, right? Where you where you lie within that risk reward paradigm, and I think. For luckily, um, I didn't really start doing the real estate game until 2011. So I, I wasn't a part of the craziness of 07, 08, 09. Uh, but trust me, I heard lots of war stories and a lot of people who overextended themselves levered up too much uh, and ended up paying the price. And so I think um, sort of an evolving issue as a real estate entrepreneur and somebody who's involved in that aspect is finding where you're comfortable taking those risks, how, uh, and make sure that you're able to back it up when, when push comes to shove. And so, um, that's something that I think a lot of people who are looking to get into the game, um, can sort of, it's always going to be a process. And as you get older and you enter different phases of your career and you build a nest egg or whatever happens, you, that changes, right? It's going to change with what you're willing to take on earlier on. I was, you know, much more, uh, less, I would say risk averse. And I was, I just wanted to build, 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 and then take on some debt and things of that nature. Now I've got a family, you know, I've been doing it for a little while. And it's like, you know, that risk parameter profile has gone down a lot and, uh, just looking for, for solid yield and risk adjusted yield. Sure. So finding that band of risk tolerance that works best for you, it sounds like that was a big lesson that you learned. Any other pieces of advice for the real estate investors that are watching our show? Uh, I would say that, you know, another thing is just don't be scared to get out and venture into territory that you might not know. I think with this day and age, leveraging technology and the ability to have relationships that aren't necessarily within your proximity of where you sit is really important. And, you know, back, you know, previous generations of real estate professionals and investors, they, they were pretty local or hyper local. Right. And then now you don't have to be there at this day and age to be able to go buy an apartment complex or a rental property. If you like the market and you're able to build some relationships with some boots on the ground and people that are there, um, there's no reason, there's nothing to stop you this day and age to leverage technology and the things that are at our disposal to be able to go outside of your geographic range. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, today we have so many different tools. I mean, just look at social media and the reach that we have through 
you know, services like LinkedIn, there really is an opportunity to flatten the world even more. You know, and I'm a big advocate of working in your farm area, especially when it comes to real estate investment. But in terms of broadening your network, there really has never been a time like today in terms of connecting with other people. So listen, let's shift it back to Quadrant Advisory. What got you into the business that you're in and why are you in that business today? Well, you know, my background and, and degree is in is in finance, and I worked uh, right when I graduated college. Um, you know, I was thinking I was going to go to Wall Street and do all that, and that was 2008, and so that whole thing just fell apart, right? And uh, fortuitously, ended up in more of a corporate finance role, uh, and eventually that led me to becoming a CFO of a uh, boutique consulting firm here in in Washington D.C. And while I was there. I just noticed this void of uh, in the small business community where they either had the principals doing the finance and accounting work or they had just a basic bookkeeper or the other side of the spectrum was where they spent a lot of money to build out a full finance and accounting team. And that void in between is, is really where I wanted to fill. And so um, it was just seeing a problem in the marketplace and where I was, you know, uh, working at the time and seeing a hot uh, market, if you will, or a group of potential clients and, and going for it. I've always wanted to work for myself and um, had this thesis around this little void in the marketplace. And it ended up so far proving true. And, uh, you know, I think you can also see with the proliferation of the startup and tech communities, it's just continuing to be small business ownership and, and people went out and founding um, companies is just getting more and more and more common. And so I think timing was was a little fortuitous there as well for the starting of the businesses. And so, um, you know, again, it goes back to what I sort of mentioned with the real estate on Quadrant. You know, I actually thought had of this idea for 12 to 18 months before I actually pulled the trigger on it. And once I did it, you know, and put my head down and really work, now I'm happy that I did it. And it's like, you just got to get out there and do it. Right. And, um, and you'll, you, a lot, most of the time you won't be, uh, you know, regret it if you just go out and at least try. So that's right. Yeah. So it sounds that's like you really, idea. you saw a need and you stepped up and filled that need, which is really great. And I agree with you for a lot of people, I think for most people, those first steps are the most challenging. And often, you know, once we get that momentum, right, objects in motion continue to stay in motion. Once we get that momentum, it's a lot easier to keep going. So I would agree with you completely. Take those first steps. Sometimes you might need to put a little extra oomph in your step, but really that's what gives you the momentum to power through and to keep going. So, you know, now you've got your business, things are, are, are moving forward. So what kinds of clients suit you best and what is your current value proposition for those clients, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we we're we're pretty industry agnostic when it comes to our client portfolio, and we have actually found that lessons that we learn and playbooks that we've developed in some in industry A have you know will cross pollinate into industries B and C, and so we don't focus strictly on GovCon or startups or uh, e-commerce or whatever. We we like to be agnostic when it comes to the industry that we work in. I would say it's more around the size of the business and where you are in the life cycle of your company. And, uh, you know, companies that are in that, you know, up to about 30 to 40 million in revenue tend to be a sweet spot for us. I would say really that one to 25 million, if you want to narrow it down even a little bit more uh, in revenue and or if you're not as as 
revenue is a good indicator. Um, if you're building a product or have raised some venture capital uh, and you're looking to execute if you're pre-revenue, right? And if you have, you know, three to 25 employees, that's sort of the realm that we like to live in. Because if you get bigger than that, a lot of times you'll graduate from us or you will hire at least one internal resource who we then will support or become an augmentation to. Right on. So outside of Quadrant Advisory, do you have any other business interests? Yeah, well, you know, the the, the real estate thing always um, is, is keeping me busy outside of Quadrant Advisory. And, um, you know, there's I, I try to sit on, on various advisory panels for small businesses. Um, you know, I'm a part of something called uh, Next Gen uh, Venture Fund as a uh, entrepreneur. Uh, venture partner, which is essentially a uh, it's a venture capital fund that invests in later stage companies, B and C stage companies, and um, you know I help with due diligence committees and things of that nature there, and you know that helps you know not only from a business development standpoint for Quadrant, but you know if there's something interesting that I can get involved in outside of Quadrant, then uh, that helps feed that as well, and so I think you know staying involved not just from a business perspective where I would be an owner or a partner, but where can I add value in the community or in the areas that I want to operate or learn in, I think is important. And, and, I, and trying to stay involved that way is something that I always try to do. Yeah, I love it. I love that you're interested in providing value. You know, that's definitely my motto, provide value and everything else follows. So I'm glad to hear that you're involved in some other activities as well. So listen, Chris, to say that there's been a lot of change in the world would be probably the understatement of the decade. Um, we all know that there's been so much that's gone on over the last year. And uh, looking forward, I think that we're in a, a slightly different world than we were a year ago. So for you specifically, what does your world look like forward thinking in, let's say, five years? Yeah, I think, you know, between now and five years, you know, just keeping my head down and continuing to grow what I'm growing uh, brick by brick. And, you know, in five years, I would like Quadrant to, to have, you know, experienced a lot of that growth. I would like to have, um, you know, more of a uh, robust uh, management team and advisory team around me. And these are people who, you know, I can look up to and they can help me to take Quadrant to the next level and continue to do that. Uh, the real estate activity will continue to grow and I'll venture into other markets or other real estate asset classes that I haven't before. Um, and so for me, the next five years, I'm 35 years old and so I've got a lot of meat left on the bone when it comes to you know my professional career, I like to think. And so it's just continuing to, to, to grow and to continuing, you know, continuing to focus on where I, I want to focus on to make that happen. And, and it's also about getting into more high leverage day-to-day uh, -day decision points and not so much in the weeds and surrounding yourself with those tacticians and those people who you trust who are going to help you execute on what you're trying to build. And so uh, for me, it's, you know, maybe I, in five years, Quadrant grows, real estate uh, portfolio and activity grows. And maybe I have one or two other, you know, blossoming um, new businesses or things of that nature that I can continue to grow and focus my time on. Sure. Yeah, that's, sure. that's really, really exciting. So you mentioned growth and expansion to other real estate asset classes. What asset classes are exciting to you in the future? Bridge a lot. I think self-storage, there's a lot of opportunity and, and not in the, uh, you know, uh, 
A markets. I think, you know, some secondary and tertiary markets, there's going to continue to be some of this urban sprawl or decentralization from COVID where people who thought they had to live in downtown, you know, DC or New York or, or Philadelphia, what have you, um, are opting more for some, you know, some more land, some more air, some more space around them. And uh, so I like storage. Uh, multifamily is going to continue to do well, I believe. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there looking for places to, to put their capital. And so the, the demand side on the buy side is not going to get any easier. Uh, but I think storage and multifamily is where I, I think I want to spend most of my time looking at over the next couple of years. Awesome. Sounds like you're going to follow some of these trends that are, are in place and maybe speeding along quite a bit more in, uh, in, in today's world. So, look, we've got about a minute left. Really appreciate all of the, the value that you've shared with our viewers. Did you have any questions to, for me or did you have anything that you wanted to end with? Well, you know, I was just, you know, going through this and, and thinking through some of the questions that we asked um, for me. Dan, I've got to know you a little bit through this, but if you could tell me sort of when you're going through this and talking to entrepreneurs and people, what are some of the themes that you see when people say they want to add value? What does that mean to you and your viewership, right? Exactly. Like, is it is it building companies? Is it investing? Um, sort of how do you add value in your world and to your listeners? Yeah, that's a great question. So I add value by giving people things, right? Whether it's a complimentary, no obligation value proposal on their building, whether it's an opportunity to talk on the phone and give assistance or maybe some tutelage or mentorship, um, or whether it's making a connection. So I think that really having a value proposition and leading with that is really important. I think that I've seen that from a lot of my ultra successful guests. And I know for me, not only has it helped me to be successful, but it's given me meaning in my life. I think that's a really important thing and a really great question, Chris. So, hey, Listen, this has been a lot of of fun, big pleasure, and you've added a lot of value. Really appreciate that. Yeah, Dan, thank you so much. Have a great day, and we'll talk again soon. You got it. I'm Dan Lukowicz. This has been another great episode of Dan on Top. We'll see you soon.